Thank you for joining Radio Maria England. We now present Feasts and Seasons, presented by Joanna Bogle. Hello, this is Joanna speaking on Feasts and Seasons. This week, we're looking ahead to the Feast of St. Valentine, and also we're looking at Lent. Yes, it's February. February brings a mixture of things. The snowdrops which appear on the cold, frosty days and survive are sometimes known as the fair maids of February. Snowdrops, they're white, they push through the earth and they do survive, and will survive too, however long and bleak. However long and bleak winter sometimes seems, February is the promise of spring, and Lent is the promise of Easter. It's 40 days long, although it's well known that it feels a lot longer if you give up chocolate. It begins on Ash Wednesday. Ashes, the ancient symbol of mourning and penitence. We still sometimes talk about somebody wearing sackcloth and ashes as a sign of penitence. Uh, For example, some public figure who has been caught in a scandal or something like that. We don't wear sackcloth and ashes now. I get a bit annoyed when people keep harping back to the old days, the old liturgy, the old this in the church, because not everything old was that right. There was something about penance that needs to be structured. It goes the same way as public confession of sins. I'm told it was the Irish monks that initiated private confession of sins, and thank God they did. And today, penance is not a public thing, and we don't don't heap sackcloth and ashes on our heads. Not everything old and traditional is the only way to do things. We privately, although together, and it's important, it's a community thing, we do penance. And we begin by receiving ashes in the form of a cross on our foreheads. It's normally a very powerful experience on Ash Wednesday to go to Mass, often in a packed out, crowded church, and receive ashes. Often they have to be distributed at various points in the church, a a priest or a deacon coming further down the aisle and setting up a second point and so on. I've even seen it done out of doors with a priest coming through out of the doors onto the street to people who are standing there to receive their ashes. Very popular. I remember a priest at Brompton Oratory saying it's their most popular day of the year. And of course, it's not, strictly speaking, a day of obligation. You don't have to go to Mass. The church doesn't decree that you must. I think people like the, the reality of it, the tangibility, the hands-on. You're receiving ashes on your forehead. And I certainly know that a lot of non-Catholics go because normally my go-to place is Westminster Cathedral. And you see people lining up and you know them and you know they're not Catholic. Nothing to stop them receiving ashes, of course, the ancient symbol of penitence. And yes, we are meant to fast and pray in Lent. Fasting, well, giving up chocolates, the obvious one, skipping some other treat that we like. A lot of people give up alcohol. Giving up anything between meals is one obvious discipline. We are still meant, in all circumstances, 
our bishops have urged us to abstain from meat on Fridays, a little act of penance, every week, every Friday, in honour of the Lord's death for us on Calvary. So we can give up some other food, like meat or something, for the whole of Lent. Some people do something special on Wednesdays and Fridays. I've known people give up tea and coffee, just have a glass of water instead. One person who did that, and I admired her for it, was a woman in public life, and she actually said, we were friends, we still are friends, she's chatting away, and uh, she said she did find it difficult because offering somebody a, a freshly brewed cup of coffee was, in a sense, part of her job, as uh, people coming to see her about various public and private uh, problems in her capacity as an elected official. And she said it was jolly difficult because the lovely fresh smell of the coffee. She was only saying that to me as a friend. But I, I thought it was a good effort in that sense because it's not very public. She'd be sipping water. It wouldn't look odd. Uh, you just pour your guest a pot of coffee from a pot of coffee and all very casual. But it is a little act of penance and it's a gift to God. So we're all making an effort during Lent. And I think the fact that we do it communally is a help Lent is not a private whim, and of course it's not something to brag about. So here is Lent. February the 14th, of course, is famously St. Valentine's Day. He was a Roman martyr in the early days when the church was persecuted. And it is said that while he was in prison, he cut out little heart symbols and smuggled them out to people, and that's the beginning of Valentine's. There's no evidence really of that until the high Middle Ages, but certainly there was devotion to him from a very early date and as a church dedicated to him on the Flaminian Way in Rome. So St. Valentine is no myth, and the idea of courtly love is very important and developed during the High Middle Ages. Well, we are certainly due for a revival of that. There's something rather horrid about some modern Valentines. I remember feeling sick, honestly, physically sick, on a railway station when looking for Valentine cards in the in the stationery shop there, big open plan, you know, buy your paper and get a cup of coffee as well and all that. And there were horrible ones with a condom attached and everything. Oh, what a sad culture. But courtly love and a lovely, loving message on Valentine's Day is beautiful. I've also known families who extend it. Children send a Valentine to their grandparents. Good idea. Happy to pass that thought on. Lovely idea. Maybe there's some lonely old people in your local old people's home. You could send a valentine to them, ask their list of Christian names and then put your own name on. All sorts of possibilities. When it comes to husband and wife, love still matters more than ever. I liked Pope Francis's message when he said the message for family life, the most important words, please, thank you and sorry. I love you is wonderful as well. And I liked the little poem that the broadcaster, and incidentally Catholic, Libby Purvis once wrote when she was asked for her own Valentine. And she came up with, if I had space enough and time, this card would be a Valentine. But since a home and family is what we have, please bring home the haddock and the sanilav, because that's what family life is really all about. Valentine and true authentic Christian love, probably due for a revival. But actually, since the saint was downgraded to just a national and optional memorial under the good Pope, Pius XII, I'm not blaming him, you have to keep making space for new saints in the calendar too. Uh, his feast day under John Paul uh, was turned to the feast of St. Cyril and Methodius. This is a long, long-standing saint's day, but it's a way of recognising the importance of the Eastern Rite churches. 
St. Cyril and Methodius were apostles to the Slavs, and to this day we still call the alphabet that they use the Cyrillic alphabet after St. Cyril, so don't let's forget them either. One of the things that really matters in springtime and in Lent is to think about love, because it's true the animals are beginning to mate at that time. Perhaps that's why we talk about bunnies at Easter, because you do see the gorgeous little bunnies flopping about. Incidentally, the invention of the Easter bunny is a new pagan idea. Don't let's bother. Easter eggs, when we get there, is about new life and the resurrection. And an egg even has in itself those Easter colours of gold and white. Skip the Easter bunny. Nothing to stop you eating a chocolate bunny. But the idea that the bunny lays Easter eggs is all new and silly. And anyway, everyone knows rabbits don't lay eggs. But there is something about the birds mating in the spring. We know they do and they lay their eggs and the rabbits and the lambs are born. So there is a sense of new life in spring and our love, our human love, which in the providence of God fills heaven with new souls as well as earth with lovely families. It's all very sacred and important. A good time to talk about love and marriage. A good time to teach children that Christian marriage, the lifelong union of one man and one woman, is a glorious thing, a sacrament. It's holy. We shouldn't teach it as a sort of grim necessity. Oh, well, the church thinks you ought to get married. No, no, the church, as the wedding service puts it, abundantly blesses this love. Christ's first miracle was at a wedding, and he went there as a guest. He went there as a guest with his mother. He was already an adult. It's clear that by then St. Joseph had gone to his reward. And there's an awful lot that's rich in the story of the wedding at Cana, but it begins with this understanding that Christ abundantly blesses this love. And this is what the Feast of St. Valentine is about too. And great abundance, the, the wine that he produced from water, Masses and masses and masses of it, and it's the best wine. And here's a message perhaps for us who have been married a long time. The host, the bridegroom at the feast, said that the best wine had been kept until last. You see, there is something very beautiful about Christ's wine. It keeps, and the best wine is last. There's a whole lot of Eucharistic messages in all that too. As we look at Lent and springtime, and we look ahead to Easter, we think about the whole idea of suffering producing new life. Well, you could stretch this too far, but it's true in so many ways. Most of the things that are worth achieving involve some sacrifice. Think of having long piano lessons before you can really play glorious music. Think of a painter patiently learning his craft. Think of a woman giving birth to a child. Think of gardening, and we'll think of gardens at Easter and Christ in the garden. Think of almost anything. As a writer, I am so grateful for the years at school that I spent studying grammar and having my spelling corrected, learning about capital letters and so on. And I'm very sorry that these skills, which are a little bit tough to learn, not very, but a little bit tough to learn, are not offered properly today because people think children should be made to feel everything's easy. Well, it isn't. And I have to say, as one involved with various school projects, I really feel for children because they're not taught good grammar and so their work looks sillier than it might otherwise be. Something marred by poor spelling and inaccurate grammar doesn't only fail to win a prize, at least in our projects, but it looks silly and naive and daft. And the little mistakes that children make, some which can be very funny and charming, get lost in thus the general slovenliness. 
Sometimes we need to suffer a little bit for a greater goal. We all know that. And in Lent, we learn this too. It's not the big penances either, is it? It's the small ones. Yes, the denial of chocolate, the small things seem big, but they are in fact quite small. And then the everyday things. Things that Therese of Lisieux writes so well about keeping your mouth shut when somebody really is annoying to you. One of the great virtues being silent, being silent when you're falsely accused in a trivial way or something like that, bearing wrongs patiently. That doesn't mean you shouldn't defend yourself and defend the right. If you are falsely accused, it's important to stand up for what is true. But bearing wrongs patiently is important and good. It's worth thinking about the whole thing about Lent, suffering, penance, and then new life at Easter. So as we begin Lent, we can't really say happy Lent. And the word happy comes from perchance, mayhap, perhaps. No, let's say, let's have a beautiful and fruitful Lent. I remember when we were teenagers, we used to think of what you could say, and we came up with have a lugubrious Lent. No, that's not quite it either. Let's say, have a beautiful Lent, a fruitful Lent, and one which this year may help towards the new evangelization of our poor country. There's something awfully sad about the way people reinvent penance in forms of dieting or saying dry January or, uh, or something like that. Lacking spiritual depth, lacking life, just sort of inventing ways to sort of think they could get slim. No, no, no. For the Christian, there's a rhythm to life, feasting and fasting. And in Lent, we fast and we look to the drama of the Paschal mystery of Holy Week and Easter. And it's springtime and new life is coming. Joanna Bogle, Feasts and Seasons. You're listening to Auntie Joanna, Joanna Bogle on Feasts and Seasons. Send us any of your stories. Tell us how you celebrate the feasts and seasons of the church's year. Any family traditions? What do you do, make, eat and sing for the different feasts of the year? What will you be doing for the feasts that are coming up? Send us your stories at info at radiomariaengland.uk Thank you.